0: hi i'm alice living best-selling author personal trainer and host of give me strength where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same welcome to give me strength I am joined today by the founder of one of my favorite brands, Neom. Now this is a brand that is so synonymous with well-being, and with a founder that lives every pillar of its core foundations that it was built on. Nicola Elliott is someone whose path I've crossed with many times, who I absolutely adore and is someone who I massively look up to in the business sense. You know, she's achieved so much. So I'm really excited to have her here to talk about being a female founder, about the highs and lows of running a business whilst being a mom as well and how she stays positive and well amongst it all. So Nicola, Welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to see your face via Zoom, but still lovely to see your face. Thank you, my love. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Um, I'm not a January fan.
1: It's always roll on March for me. I like spring. Um, <laughs> but we're all but we're
0: all doing our best to get through it, aren't we? So exactly, exactly, and. Look, I started the conversation by saying that you are in the co founder of Neon. That's right. It's a brand that I'm sure most people listening to this podcast will know. Like I said, it's so synonymous with well being. It's a brand that I have seen you hustle hard on, shall I say, for many years. You know, <laughs> I, if I think back to when we first met, it feels like such a journey that you and I have both been on. But, you know, for I remember sure. us sitting in, your store on the king's road yes and doing a live stream for was it like qvc we did or something where we were like talking through the products i do
1: remember that i do remember you thinking you had amazing hair and skin and a really lovely dress from ghost on on. (gasps) yes i did and you said that ghost is really upping its game and i ended up going and buying two dresses from there you're like that you know it's like one of those brands that's really well made but actually really flattering but just the right level of cool and i was a bit like ghosts, no I've not thought of that for ages yeah. <laughs> and then I ended up going by bang, bang. and then they did the, the collab with Martha Spencer's this is so off topic isn't it but anyway those little things in life where you get a really great dress and it doesn't cost you an absolute arm and a leg there wins. I'm gonna
0: they. I'm gonna add fashion influencer into your bio <laughs> <laughs> No, now, look, I, I think that like I said when I when we think of neon, you know I think of it being very focused around about well-being and so when I think of the origins of how it started it's really interesting for me that, you know, I don't know too much about actually how you founded the business. What was the situation that you found yourself in that led to starting a brand that is so well being focused? You know, when I was reading your kind of bio beforehand, you know, learning that you were a journalist before was was something that I, I had no idea about. So, Talk to me about founding Neon. Where did it all start? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously it's such a hot topic, well
1: being, which is a great thing, I think, for everyone. And, and as a brand, you know, people are interested, they're understanding the importance of it, they're talking about it, it's good. Uh, but 18 years ago, when, when we founded Neon, this was really ahead of the curve, and painfully so, actually, from a business point of view, because trying to explain the concept and get people interested in the concept in the UK. Um, it was a, was a hard task and naturals, you know, a big part of, of the products working as well being products was that we were using only natural essential oils. That was also hard. This was the time of the cosmeceutical. So it was really quite groundbreaking. And um, and so I started because I was a journalist, as you say, for years. I loved, it was brilliant. Most of my friends to this day are friends that I made through working on the magazines. Um, but I started suffering from really bad anxiety. And again, people weren't talking about anxiety the way they are now. You know, there were, it wasn't, you were anxious if you felt a bit nervous before you went on stage. Do you know what I mean? That was the context of which you would use that word. There was no um, knowledge of it. There was no help around, there was nothing. Um, yet I remember having awful panic attacks, and thinking I was having heart attacks. And my, my life was just really, really, really hectic. And quite often now when we talk about anxiety, typically it's something, you know, maybe someone has gone through something particularly traumatic or, or or stumbled across a really difficult period in their life. That wasn't the case for me. I think I was literally just shoving too much in. You know, being 25, again, this was a time when no one went to the gym, you didn't get out and see the sunlight in the morning. I was working UK hours, then New York hours, then LA hours on a plane all the time. I lived on pasta pesto. I mean, this was the norm. This is like 2005, right? And so I was shoving too much in and I ended up having really bad anxiety. And kind of the, the light bulb moment if if or the first of many light bulb moments for me was very much me sort of thinking, I've got to look after myself. It wasn't about starting a business. And that was hard to get those resources. There was one crusty, you know, sort of health food shop at the top of the road with a old banana and a bucket outside and some nuts. And in the back, there was like some lavender oil. That's like, you know, the the height of my inspiration.
0: Crusty um, is crusty is an interesting word choice there, but I love
1: it. <laughs> there is no better word choice. The friends of mine who were beauty journalists were like, what are you talking about? Natural products. No one's interested in that. Everyone's interested in Doctor Brands. So none of them were on board. And I just so it wasn't really about a business, it was about you know, how can I help myself? And, and during a period of about a year, I retrained as a nutritionist. I retrained as a aromatherapist. I was just taking small steps, I suppose, to make myself feel better. My mum, who's a bit of a northern, no-nonsense woman, was sort of, you know, you've got to look after yourself. You're like, move, see the sunlight, eat foods that, you know, are more than a pasta, pesto thing. And so I spent this year thinking, yeah, I'm kind of interested in this and how I can help myself. So that was the first sort of start, the inclination of neon, incarnation, I should say. Second part was me sort of looking around, I think, and noticing that everyone around me seemed to suffer from. I mean, mine anxiety was obviously caused from stress and doing too much, uh, not looking after myself. But then, you know, people with sleep issues, people with energy issues, people with mood imbalances. And I thought, my God, Those three plus the stress—they are the pillars of good health—and I was shocked and surprised by how many people seem to suffer from, if not one, two, or three, or even four of those issues. And and actually, they were the bedrocks of you—the bedrock of you having getting your well-being in check. So that was sort of almost light bulb number two, if you like. And then, as part of me learning aromatherapy, I was creating little tinctures in my tiny little bathroom that helped friends with those particular issues and I remember you know when I sort of was creating it took years to get these things right but when I was creating little bottles that were really helping people with their sleep and their stress it was it was like I had this kind of mini apothecary in in my house and and I remember thinking, God, this really helps. You know, it, there's no silver bullet for well-being, as you well know, and we'll talk about it in a bit, I'm sure. But it was a it was a really it was a really helpful part of it, and a bit that people liked kind of getting involved in. So therefore, it quite often was kickstarting them to think about their well-being, and so that was sort of, I suppose, the real business libel moment, Alice, where it was kind of, do you know what? I think there's something in this. I think there's something in people's wellbeing being a bit out of whack in defining it in a way that they will understand and then creating something that can be a very useful part of a toolkit, um, which can hopefully you know encourage them to develop that toolkit further. And, and then we created four candles. And of course the idea was to have a big beauty brand that we have now, but I had no money. I, I mean, literally that was, you know, business lesson number one of 365,000, you know, you have no money and therefore you will have to create four products maximum. So we started with candles, but we quickly followed with the other products. And I suppose that's the that's the rest is history
0: point. I mean, it's a phenomenally successful brand and, you know, as far as you're comfortable, it'd be great to go into some of the numbers of how you've grown and expanded. But just before I do that, one thing that I wanted to pick up on, which I find so interesting, and you know, you use the words kind of groundbreaking and at the forefront of this, but actually something that I find really quite interesting about your journey specifically, your business specifically, is that this fell at a time, particularly where well-being was entirely focused around the aesthetic. It was about how we look, And it was about whether you were thin or not, you know, that was that was the fundamentals of wellness. It was like, do you have the skinny aesthetic? And if you don't, you're not wellness, you know. And I think that when I look at your business journey, your whole approach to Neon, that it's centered in well-being, but that none of that is ever grounded in in the aesthetic, it's all about mood, mindset, how it makes you feel, you know, the kind of visceral moments that we can move through, I guess, that can make us feel stressed or not stressed or, you know, whatever. And that all of that's coming from from up here. And I'm pointing to my brain as I realize this isn't a visual, <laughs> visual platform that's coming from our brain rather than from how we look. And I think that's so groundbreaking, you know, that you weren't about creating, because you said, you know, I studied nutrition and at the same time, the aromatherapy stuff. And I think, I, I just love that idea that you really recognize this kind of underpinning pivotal thing that is how much stress our bodies are able to tolerate and how can we just and again I love the fact that you're like it's a piece of the puzzle what I'm doing it's not everything I'm not here to solve you know everyone's issues because obviously we know that everyone's you know kind of stuff is is incredibly complex but just being able to be a piece of that puzzle that isn't related to how anyone looks that is very centered in mindset in mood I think that's really what I see as being so groundbreaking and it's it's really interesting that you that you just kind of came upon that yourself
1: yeah I mean you, you said two things there. I mean first of all yeah no one no one in this industry is the wizard of Oz not you nor me nor you know the person developing the best supplements nor the best you know I, I don't know doctor in the land it, it's a it is a culmination of many different points and if you don't get that you're on the hiding to nowhere in the first place so that's the first lesson and I think we all have a responsibility which I feel very passionate about speaking to you as much as speaking to someone about you know uh immunizology as much as talking to someone about hormones as much as talking to someone about you know the science behind sleep we all have a piece and a role of this puzzle that we can bring And the more that we see that we can work together doesn't just make us stronger. We we simply can't do it on our own. It doesn't work like that. So that is something I feel very passionately about. I think if you're in the wellbeing business, you have a responsibility to to understand that. Otherwise, it's irresponsible to say to people who are coming to you to try and feel better, there you go, that's the answer. Um, So I've always felt very strongly and I suppose a big part of that book was is part of the the responsibility I feel I took on getting into well-being um wouldn't have been the same if it was in lipsticks I'm sure but to your point about the looks um yeah I, I suppose the reason why people saw looks more as the sort of as the end game and that being about well-being because fundamentally you you believe that 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 was the end goal was to look good. And therefore, if you looked good, then you felt good. M- my feeling personally has always been, look, I want to look as best that I can, as much as the next person, you know, hands up, of course. But similarly, the get, to get the most out of life, of which I am going to get a bit more out of life if I look all right in a, you know, in a in a nice dress, maybe a little bit, but I am. But to, get, to squeeze the lemon much further means going a lot deeper. It means me learning as much as I can. It means me experiencing as much as I can. It means me understanding as much as I can. It means me, me being able to access life in all the different ways, looking good in a dress, being one of, I don't know, hundred. And so for that to work, you've got to feel good inside because I can't do any of those things and get to my ultimate goal – if I don't feel my best. So I think it's about sort of re-looking at what your ultimate goal is um, because it, it's got to be way richer than just how you look, right? And I don't think that means it's, it's about saying that that is not important. Look, you know, it's nice to have nice hair. It's, you know, it's that these things are important. Of course they are, but they're not the only thing. So I think I probably wanted a lot more, was asking for a lot more from life. And maybe because I'm demanding, we were quite progressive about what we felt we could bring to
0: the table from a beauty, well-being, lifestyle point of view. No, I I agree with all of that. And I think that you're so right. You know, the the whole journey that I and so many others in my industry have been on is recognizing that, like, God, that puzzle is so much bigger than we initially thought it was. And, And like, yeah, like I said, you were really at the forefront of that, you know, in part kind of really leading the journey on on mindset, on stress, on all these things. So bringing it back to the business, just because, you know, I I look up to you so much in the sense that I, I feel like I've been with you on every step of that journey. So yeah. it really is so lovely for me to be able to like talk through yeah. it with you is, um, you know, you sort of say it as if it was easy, but even getting to having four candles is a is a big deal, right? Four products, four amazing products um, and different iterations of those through the years that have always been at the core center of the business. But like you said, it was kind of your ambition to grow that out, to build a bigger product range. So talk to me about that journey. You know, there are so many people listening to this who probably are sat at home with a business idea. You know, they're, they're starting off as you did in their bathroom or in their kitchen, at their kitchen table, you know, scribbling down ideas, thinking of how they can start something. You know, we live in an age where, being your own boss is highly desirable. So for you to go from that jump of, you know, being at home and having a a, a very small startup Mm -hmm. to, you know, having a global business, how did you start those steps to get there? (laughs) Because I know there are going to be people who who want those answers, yeah. And and obviously I realize that's a massively complex question, but it would be nice to hear a bit about that journey.
1: Sure, I I think there are some commonalities, you know, and and I think first of all, the, the one thing I would always say is, it's really important to ask yourself what success looks like. And I think that seems seem an obvious question. And, of course, look, finances come into that to a degree. You know, you want independence as much as you might want to, you know, to be able to buy yourself a holiday whenever you want. Of course, I, I get that. But I think we are living in a really exciting stage, as you say, where entrepreneurship is is quite is, – is kind of – something that people want to get involved in and I think part of that is because it gives you flexibility as much as it gives you freedom so you know it's fair and I think important early on to say look I want to either a make a million pounds or b I want flexibility to really pursue something that I love creatively and always take you know Thursdays and Fridays off to play golf it, th- th- there's no one version is right, or hasn't she done better because she made more than him? Or you know, figure out what good looks like because that's the really nice thing about where we are compared to probably where we were maybe 20 years ago. Um, and it, and I think it will it does very much change the business plan that you're going to set for yourself. Sometimes there's some real hard ass decisions that you make just to make money, as opposed to enjoying your life. And people get those them confused. Similarly, you might sort of. You might not make some decisions that would make you more money because it sacrifices what you want to do creatively or how much you enjoy something or the time that you want to put in. All of the answers are fine. So I would always start by setting off what good looks like. Um, actually starting a new series on on my Instagram called 50 Minutes of Inspo. And that's the first thing I'm really interested in is talking to women about what does good look like for you? Because I think making a million pounds in a navy blue suit in the city is not always the answer. It's not always sort of the goal of success anymore. So and that's it might seem obvious, but people don't do it. The second thing is starting really, really small. And, so many people don't do this either. It is really hard whether you're launching, whatever brand you're launching, whether you're launching D2C, direct to consumer, that is website brand, or you're launching in stores or wherever else you are to get cut through, right? That's like obvious. But getting cut through with a really exciting product, service, or idea when it is very simple and a very sharp story, if you like, is so much easier when you've got one, two, three, four products. Um, Because you've you've got to really, people haven't got time to listen to you. They don't think they need something. They probably don't need something. So for you to be able to explain a much tighter, smaller story, that's like way easier than you explaining a whole big brand with 100 products. So even if someone says to you, I'll give you a load of cash to start a business even in that scenario and, and my stop was the money but with hindsight even if i was starting something tomorrow i would start with just a product or two or three or four because because then you can get that cut through and you can explain that story a lot better and the other thing is you can then test and learn we've changed so much since we started Words resonate. They don't resonate. People are rec- more excited by something than you thought. They're less excited. Uh Something's too complicated. Something doesn't quite smell the way that, you know, other people like as much as you. All of these things. If you can get a product out there or a service out there and then test and learn, it, it's the, absolutely the best way to go about things. Um and, and, and people are nervous about that because that essentially means going out with something that probably isn't fully formed and probably is... You know, 80% and done type scenario than something that you think is perfect, but that's great. That's really, really good because if it's not quite done, then again you allow yourself that flexibility and that freedom as time goes on to refine it, iterate it, grow it, develop it alongside your customers. So I think there are two things that I would always say are are really, really good bits of advice for if you're starting something and things that, you know, maybe I did a bit of, but I didn't really understand the importance of back then. Does that answer your question?
0: It really does. And I think that one of the things that came up for me there was really about that feedback loop. You know, when you're starting a business, when you are trying to do something that is D2C or or, or other, um, but you're, you know, you're customer facing, you're wanting people to buy something from you, whether that be a service or a product you know, how critical is that customer feedback? You know, were you going off numbers? Were you going off what's selling the most? Or were you actually, you know, did you have opportunities where you were listening to customer feedback? Were you, you know, doing things like, I don't know, uh, you know, you had examples where you, the, the pop-up on the King's Road, for example, an amazing, made people to actually directly engage with the people who are buying your co- products. Like, how much was that valuable in your iteration journey? As you said, yeah. like the brand has changed so much. And, you know, even as a, as someone who's a massive fan of the brand, I've seen products come and go, and I've seen things that have really worked, and I've seen things that have you know been more kind of temporary, you know, bits that have been part of the, yeah. the brand. So, for me, I'd love to hear that role of feedback because I know for a lot of people yeah. when they're starting business, myself included, it's very hard when you get a lot of people saying a lot of things about your brand, oh, knowing what's right and wrong to go with in terms of the steer of the brand.
1: Yeah, well, look, a brand is a bit like a marriage, you know. Someone can give you as much advice as they want, but they're not going to really know what your husband's like and what the dynamic is like between you and him and what you want to do. There's all these things that are very personal. So it pisses me off when someone goes, this is the thing. It's like you you don't know. You don't know. Go back to the first thing I said. You don't even know what my goals are, you know. I might rather make £20,000 a year and have a nice easy life of three-hour lunches as opposed to making, you know, double that and working 16-hour days. So how is your advice, right, if you don't know where I'm going to? So you've got to know you is, is the first thing and what you're doing and where you're going. Secondly, this is part art and part science all the way, and it always will be, and it continues to be for me all the time. You know, the old Henry Ford analogy, ask the people what they want and they'll say faster horses. That always applies, if I go out and ask customers what they want, night, it, it can be really, really useful. Sometimes I'll say, I don't know, let's say there's a pink vessel and a red vessel, right? And eight, and I think I like red, but eighty percent like pink. Then I got to listen to that. That's that's a really kind of obvious one. But if I have a concept in my head that is really groundbreaking, let's say the pod, for example, for us, the well-being pod, which was really groundbreaking. If I'd have gone to people and said, you know, those things that you know, sort of the, the closest that we've had that you will have experienced is like those Muji uh, scent throwers in in the window. You know, w- would you like one of those? They would have gone, no, no, I'm not interested in that. So, so you've got to be careful. Sometimes, if you ask people, ask them direct questions, but don't rely on them always for everything. It's it's bits and pieces. You have a vision in your head that nine times out of 10, people won't really be able to see and understand because it's your vision in your head. So in the more simpler things, I would definitely rely on people. And I would get insights on them in terms of their life. That's always really interesting. Like what causes you stress right now? Is it, you know, the, is it the demographic of people who've got little babies way more than the people whose kids are at university? This was a really interesting thing for me. We were doing a big stress audit, and I was like, oh, it's me, it's me, that my demographic, you know, it's mums of two kids who are working. And then we did this huge, big survey, and we found out that actually girls who were 19 at university, we were asking primarily women because we sell still 87% to, to women. Well, girls who were 19 at university, they were, or going to university, they were stressed because exam pressure now is way more than it was when I was 19 then we got these mums who were like late 60s and they were stressed more than ever because they're now looking after their grandchildren more than we were probably looked after by our grandmothers so that's really interesting Is going out finding out like kind of custom insights in how people are living their lives but you've got to join those dots a bit together and then sort of finally what I would say is This is never going to work if you don't go in knowing that your failure rate is going to be pretty high because you have to launch things knowing that, you know, one will fly, one will be okay, one will be a bit of a flop, there or thereabouts. Because if it doesn't go and it doesn't launch, you're never going to see. So you have to get comfortable with the fact that, you know, those things aren't always going to fly. Otherwise, you'd not launch anything, would you?
0: We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. So let's just go there and on that because I think it's really important that you bring up and and I hate to use the word failure, but it's helpful in this context, I guess, of things that have kind of maybe not gone the way that you thought they would that have actually really helped drive the business to where it is today. Let's not call them failures. Let's just call them hurdles that you've had to overcome. Can you talk to me about some of those that really stick out to you?
1: Oh my gosh, Uh, so many. um, Little things that, you know, there's big things that are failures. Um, It might be a scent that doesn't work. You know, people just don't get it, don't like it. You know, that could be something as simple as that. Um, And then there's other things that, you know, I tell you, this is, this is a funny one. So we have a, a best-selling fragrance called Real Luxury. And that was the fragrance that I developed for my own anxiety. It was the first fragrance I blended. It took me two and a half years to get there. It works a treat. And I called it different things through the iteration. I called it initially for women because, you know, I felt there was a hormonal issue at play with my anxiety at the time. Then I... Um, and then I called it Real Luxury because for me, the absence of me feeling anxious was the, the, the ultimate luxury. But it's always – and then it became a best-selling fragrance, right? It's like one of the things I'm proudest of because not only does it help anxiety, but it also um, – it smells really sophisticated for a natural blend. As I say, it's got 24 essential oils in there. So it's a really lovely kind of cashmere blanket. But we call it Real Luxury and to this day – It's difficult because I should have called it something more about de-stressing, and but I didn't. And then we got huge success with it, and then it was hard to go back, and then we never changed the name of it, and now it's such a bestseller, I would be far too scared to change the name of it because the audience that we have know it and love it. But it's a mistake, right? It it, it was a mistake, but it was a mistake that, you know, we, we, we bent to and we twisted and we lived with and, you know, whatever. Yeah, we're not going to die from it. So it's like, there's mistakes where you go, people just didn't like that the vessel for a hand wash. And then there's things where you iterate and you learn to live with and it becomes now people, I think do quite like the fact that it's not all about stress and they're getting the point that, you know, luxury and they
0: join those dots a bit more. So there's loads of those. I think that, um, on that front, I guess there are things that are going to be very business focused that are like that, you know, whether it's a product feature or a name or, you know, something that flew and something that didn't unexpectedly. So, you know, there are those hurdles that you will have overcome. And I think that I guess shifting it and really bringing the focus, I guess, to maybe some of the things that you might have mentioned in your book, which comes out, you know, is out now, um, are more of the kind of personal hurdles You know the things that you've overcome yourself as as a founder, as a woman in business, as someone who's really trying to achieve their greater goal, which is to grow Neon as a brand. You know, I guess there are going to be things that behind closed doors you've perhaps struggled with in a way that you haven't been able to present publicly or talk about publicly. So. You know, Can you talk me through maybe some of those as well? Do you mention them in the book? Is there anything that you feel really sticks out for you in terms of sort of personal hurdles that you've overcome?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't talk about them so much in the book because apart from my own anxiety and panic attacks, which I think are really important, you know, it was a springboard of, you know, of the idea really. Um, I don't talk about them much because the book is more... About me gathering all of the information from all of the experts that we've been lucky enough to to speak to, having developed this huge wellbeing platform, and I was always mindful of this, like I kind of go comb through this book and make sure it wasn't too about me or too I think, you know. And, and and Penguin kept saying, "Oh, come on, it needs to be more what you think." And I was like, "What do I know? Like, I only know what I know, you know." And and so there's always this tussle between me going, "Listen." I don't know an awful lot, but I kind of feel X. Um, But, you know, personal hurdles. Look, it's really hard being a working mum. Of course it is. But who is it not for? You never get the balance right. Um, Even the question, I have a boyfriend with a really high-powered job, and I said to him the other day, do you ever get asked about work-life balance ever in an interview? And he just laughed and went, no you know it's like why do we even get asked that that even being asked that puts the pressure on us no no, no offense to you alice it's the right it is we are interested in it but it also comes you know with a frustration that for women that is something we feel we've got to get right and we're desperately sharing tips and tricks to try and make it work when you know, it's just not the same for men. I think
0: the reality is though that we, we just have to accept that we live in a world where women, you know, like it or not. And, and, and believe me, I wish it weren't so, but like we live in a world where women are predominantly, particularly, you know, here in the UK, are the caregivers. Yes, things are changing. Yes, I see there being, you know, more flexible working, more opportunities for women, more female founders. But I guess as someone who really started that trend, you know, being a, a female entrepreneur, it's way more popular now than it was when you first started. There are going to be people who are look t- looking to you who are thinking, how did she do yeah. that, you know? Because, yeah. because I think that there are so many women for whom they would bloody love to start a business if they weren't juggling lots of other things too. And and I think that sometimes we can give this false impression that it is just really easy and that, you know, oh, it's just, you know, you work yeah. late and you get up early. And and I just sort of feel like, you know, I I... I I would hope that being a mother is in my future at some point, God willing. And, you know, I am a female founder, I'm running a company, I'm trying to be a, a successful woman in business, shall we say. Mm. It's a big consideration for me, you know, that, that next step of my life journey, you know, what is that going to look like? And and so I do think that as much as it's a tricky question to ask, because I mm. completely understand this, in your point of saying, you know, men don't get asked this. No, they don't. But at the same time, it should be that both of us are being asked it and it's a conversation that we have across the board about, you know, if you want to have both, how do we do it? <laughs> yeah, I
1: agree. I agree. And I think, you know, I, I feel the answer is important. The question is important for me to answer, but I think first part of the question is let's all be aware of the fact that I'm being asked this question and he's not. That's the first part of the problem, right? Then I agree. You you need you need older people who've been through it to give you some advice. Look, here's some stuff that's that's resonated with me. I made less money even at year six than I did in my old job. It took so much longer. I sacrificed decade, I think, of my own life. So I yes, I was there to take the children to school and pick them up even most days. But I didn't see friends for coffees. I didn't you know go to the gym. I remember meeting you at a thing once and I said, I'm barely managing to do any exercise and you said, maybe this is just a time in your life where you're just having to walk to the tube as your exercise. And it really was. I didn't have that time to do anything for me. and I think when I look back, yeah, I do feel a bit poor me and it was really bloody hard and I I wasn't doing the coffees with friends that other people were and I, even on a weekend, I was falling asleep after, Two glasses of wine at seven o'clock on the on the sofa. Again, it comes back to: Do you want that? You know, the path to that is probably where what you would have to do to to have a really big business, really. But you know, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want a business that's half the size and and then you know have a have a maybe a more calmer, controlled journey. It was definitely that for me, and um, and it was worrying. You know, I didn't know if we never had that moment of business really taking off and I think you see so much on Instagram when people have businesses of oh it's worth this or it was sold for this after five years and it's like you look at the unicorns on Instagram just like you look at the you know thin 25 year olds there's also a whole load of people in the background who it takes a long time Liam is 18 years old I have built it brick by brick there was no Thing that moved the dial there was no it all took off when x joined or when i learned this piece of advice or whatever um it, in fact the bigger it got the more voices that came at me saying you don't want to do it that way you want to do it this way um, i had to develop a really tough exterior um where that was concerned um so there's been there's been an awful lot of sacrifice. I can't say that there hasn't. There has. And I think I was absolutely adamant of where I wanted to go and what kind of a life that I wanted to make. And I had no fallback. I think that probably made things harder in, in the short term for me, but maybe was what spurred me on. I didn't have, you know, I had nowhere to go if this wasn't going to work. You know, we we had to make money. So, um, so maybe that pushed me on as well. Um, but no, it wasn't easy. And I, I totally can see that people need to see those examples of people who don't just go, yay, just do it. You know, come on. Yeah. It's all for the taking. It's not as simple as that, of course.
0: And I think alongside that journey, and, you know, I, lo- I love hearing you say the reality of what growing a a, a super successful business is like because that is the 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 narrative that I think a lot of us need to hear but I guess alongside all of that you will have developed and honed your own approach to prioritizing what you initially started the business to to focus on which was your own well-being you've gone on to write your new book which is about the four ways to well-being talk to me about what the book is a kind of um, journey of and what people can expect inside of it
1: well as I said in the beginning, I don't believe where well-being is concerned there is any one silver bullet, despite the fact that, of course, we all want there to be. Um, but there's not. It's about creating a toolkit of various different elements that, by the way, will be very bespoke person to person, will evolve person to person, will change when different elements of your life you know, grow and develop and, and, and challenge you. So I think understanding that is is kind of key, and, and I wanted to make that point. But I also simultaneously wanted to give people some kind of structure because I do think people sort of, you know, are, are, are nervous about how they start that wellbeing journey. And uh, so we, we define it, obviously, as we do with all products at Neon, better sleep, less stress, boosting your energy, lifting your mood. And then we sort of – I wanted this book to be um, a, a dip-in, dip-out way of creating that sort of toolkit – I do feel very responsible. We've now created, as you said before, the number one wellbeing brand in the UK. We have a database, you know, an engaged database, way over a million people. Um, and they're coming to us for help with those issues. And I felt the responsibility of making sure that they knew, can Neom help you? Yes. Do I believe, you know, this bath oil and, and the soaking in it for 15 minutes and the, the advice that we give around you can absolutely be you know, a great help. But I also think you need to know what she's got to say and what he's got to say and what she's got to say and some of this information. So I did feel if I was going to work in this arena and I was going to build this big platform of all these people asking me, it was my responsibility to also signpost other pieces of advice. And in, in our stores, you know, I always make sure... The, the, the sales training that we do is, is quite brief, actually, but I always make sure when one of the salespeople in the store gets someone a well-being toolkit together, as they leave, they also have a piece of well-being advice that they will give them. It might be, hey, you know what? This book's brilliant on the t- subject of sleep. It's just come out. Or I'm also making sure I'm taking vitamin D right now, and here's a great brand or something. So it becomes this sort of much richer conversation. and so. The book was was hugely born, I think, out of my own feeling of responsibility where that was concerned. And also, like, I get access to the best wellbeing experts because of that platform. And so in my role as a magazine editor, I, I love that. I love asking those people and taking a bit of your advice and their advice and, and sort of cherry picking through the real kind of meat on the bone, so to speak. And so, yeah, I thought, why not write a book?
0: And talk to me about some of the experts that are involved. So um, I'm guessing sleep, like you, you described the four pillars of neon there, which is actually really helpful for people to understand because I know that this is also about your kind of four pillars to well-being. So who are some of the experts that you got involved and what do they cover?
1: So I did this brilliant piece of work um, the year before last with this amazing guy called Nick Whitten, who's a sleep expert. And we created the 11 Golden Rules for Sleep. And he worked an awful lot with um, Oxford University on the latest data and science about sleep and so i wanted him to come in and talk to me about those 11 golden rules um i love anxiety josh i think you've spoken to him before haven't you such a lovely guy but you know about real anxiety and and sort of you know a bit of a um a bit of a 101 i suppose if you're suffering it or 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 someone in your family is and, and what to do about that I also, on the sort of, you know, more softer side, I suppose, of that, wanted to speak to Susie Redding, who is a therapist I use so much um, at NEOM. I just really like her take on life. And she talks about micro moments of stress that she can, uh, that you can, you can, micro moments of de stressing during the day. So you can actually teach your body to de stress and in turn have a better night's sleep. Um, I wanted to talk to many nutritional experts, everything from immune-boosting soups right through to, you know, a real kind of quite a decent chunk of information on food and how that can affect your, your well, all aspects of your well-being, really. I I speak to supplement experts. I'm a real stickler for making sure that, you know, a couple of decent supplement brands and you tin off the rest because that industry is like the Wild West, in my opinion. Um, So, a couple of my favorite founders who have got really good brands talking about supplements, when you would supplement, why you would supplement, it's a bit of a pit stop on that. Very interested in a lot of the data coming out about positive psychology, gratitude. You know, the vast majority of information about um, happiness has has come to light in the last five years because that's we've only just recently given a damn about it and therefore put money into that and invested into it. That science and, and there's some amazing uh, there's amazing um, information about how you can positively impact your mood and and so there's an awful lot of of that kind of behavioural science in there. It's a bit of a it's a real melting pot of all all the best stuff that I think of course essential oils are in there. There's some bits and pieces. There's some there's some you know if I was to use a neon product for this. What would I use it? How would I use it? How would I use it as part of my toolkit? But there's not an awful lot, Um, you know. It's again, it's probably and it's very much an 80/20 approach. It's hopefully my no-nonsense tone of voice. It's also quite realistic all the way through. Um, It's not really written for an evangelist. Um, That's not me. I am very much a half a bottle of wine on a Friday night kind of girl, and and so it's written for those kind of people who. You know, want to make themselves feel the best, but actually have that sort of balanced lifestyle as
0: well. And I think what's really important with that is that you know most of us could do with little changes here and there i think it's often this huge pressure when people say oh, i want to feel better in myself i think they think they need to kind of like overhaul their entire life and change everything and you know throw out their entire kitchen and i remember one of the conversations that i'd have a lot with my clients and even now when i you know speak to people it's very much about kind of those small changes that can add up to making a big difference rather than these like big changes that feel like a such a huge life shift that are sometimes much more difficult to stick to adhere to in the long term and i love this idea of it being something that you can kind of dip in and out of you know maybe one week i'm struggling with anxiety the next month it might be that i'm i'm not sleeping well you know that it's that that kind of accessible little bite-sized bits of information that aren't changing your whole life it's just little bits here and there that can make a big difference
1: and quite often those things spark things off i mean you know i hadn't moved an awful lot last week because um it was just a really crazy busy week you know first week back after christmas and you, I I did one of your you know ten minute sort of um I don't know, it was I don't know what you'd call it it was like a squatting thing <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> well you know I just thought I can do this in the kitchen and so I did it but you know that in turn made me think I'm going to make a really healthy tray bake for dinner tonight and you know tomorrow I am I'm back on it a bit more so I think sometimes it's not a case of I'm in or I'm out sometimes those little things spark you a bit back off on a journey and I also think. Making well-being something that's lovely and you like, it is a nice element of your life. So it's quite important to have nice, you know, bath leisure wear, right? Because then you kind of want to do it. It shouldn't be something. Again, in the realms of sort of 10, 20 years ago, it was like, oh, a thing to do. Go to like a real, you know, walk in the cold to a real horrible manly gym and then, you know, drink some disgusting, you know, protein shake from crusty health food shop. It was like not a nice thing. You had to be so bloody invested to want to do that. And and why? Why can't we just make life nice for ourselves as much as possible? So I love I love anyone in wellbeing who makes it you know pleasurable. And I think that's really important um, for you sticking to it and wanting to get involved in it in the first place.
0: Definitely. Look, I'm so excited to read the book properly. I've had a little dip in because I know you've sent me a copy, and thank you so much for that. Um, but I'm really excited to kind of read it cover to cover and and really get the most from it. Um, I guess drawing to a close our chat, one of the things that I'm really keen to hear from you on, and you know, we've spoken about sort of hurdles and and things that you've overcome, and and really, I guess, understood your journey to creating such a successful business. But you know, looking back on your um, on your kind of journey with with Neom in particular is there anything that you would do differently is there anything that you look back on maybe that's from a personal perspective or, or from a business perspective that you would do differently
1: oh so many things Alice like you know people go no regrets <laughs> like are you joking <laughs> um it, it you know and I've done so many things differently but I think in the time you know it, it, it wouldn't they end up it ends up sort of writing itself and I think that's a really important mindset. Is you know, yeah, sure, I wouldn't necessarily have called that candle real luxury, but you know, it's ended up being fine. Um, there's there's people that I wouldn't have taken on, but at the time, they were probably right. And then the business grew, so you know, then maybe their skills weren't weren't right for the business when it was a couple of years older. Um, you know, we had an office in London and we had an office in Harrogate. You know, it's like why did we offer open the office in London? We could open it in Harrogate and it's cheaper to run. And then it was like, well, the skill set's not there. So th- there's so many mistakes that, you, th- but they're not they're not mistakes forever. They're mistakes for at that time or they're things that you need to change. That's how I sort of reframe it. And I think you have to look at them as that they are things that you will become wrong. There are things that might have been right in that day. With, with all the information that you had at hand, you made that decision. It may become a decision that needs to change in 10 minutes or 10 years or anything in between. That doesn't mean you made a mistake. It means you did that at that moment. And I think getting your mindset into these places is what is The difference between you driving yourself forward and ultimately making a success whatever success looks like to you in your way and you've got to get your head in that right frame of mind or none of it will
0: will come to where you want it to be I so agree and I've actually had a lot of conversations recently like I had a meeting with my business mentor last week and a lot of it was around how we are able to Reframe things in our life journeys, you know, whether that be in a business sense or, or, or not, about, you know, looking at mistakes. And, you know, even me asking that question is, you know, as much as I, I try and prep my notes and stuff, I think there's something to be said for, you know, language that we use around things that might have not gone the way that we wanted to or looking back. And, you know, I've got so many things, Nicola. If I were to sit here and list all of the things that I've done wrong in the journey to where I am now, and a lot of them nobody knows about, you know, a lot of them are things that you deal with privately, you don't really talk about, you know, I've had so many failed ventures and whatever. And, you know, even the whole clean eating Alice thing, I look back on that now and there's so much to unpack there in terms of what went wrong. But but also I'm still sat here doing it today and there was so much that went right at the same time. What's the
1: most amazing building block for you just cause you didn't stay on exactly that trajectory. That's not a fail, that's a successful building block. And I meet with also, I mentor quite a few women who are starting businesses. And I feel like a lot of time we spend together is not necessarily me giving them practical advice like here's this margin and here's this product and that's the ingredient you're putting on it. That it's getting their minds in the right space. And you know, they'll go, Oh my god, I've contacted, you know, a big national retailer, you know, three times now. And they've said no. And I'm like, hang on a minute, I contacted John Lewis seven times. And they wrote me really some, you know, you are not right for us emails. And I kept going and now we're the number one selling brand in our department. Like those things have all happened to me, all of them. But you're right. It's about reframing them as it was just a building block that, you know, that of course wasn't going to stay on that perfect trajectory. You were going to sidestep and then build it a bit over here and then sidestep and build it a bit over there. So you've got to get your head in the right place. 100%
0: 100% and I yeah I absolutely love that analogy and look this has been such a great chat I feel very inspired and uh, really? yeah it's just been so lovely even virtually to see you and always to hear about your growth and journey as a company because I am probably your number one fan in fact I literally have a neon candle burning right now as we speak <laughs> hey, good girl good girl good. that's always so good to hear Thank you so much for coming on, Nicola. I'm really excited for the release of your book. It's out now. We will obviously put the link to that book in the show notes for those of you that are interested in getting it. And if you want to follow Nicola on her socials, I will also put those in the show notes too because she's a great person to be inspired by on social media. So thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Alice. Thank you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i would love it if you could take some time to rate review, and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it we have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out see you next time insanity group